Hey, uh, parables, week three. Uh, what, what is a parable? Now we're three weeks into it. It is a story with a, a point, right? A story with a moral, the moral of the story. What, it's, do we analyze every single detail of a parable? No, right? We don't. We only pull out what the, the main truth that Jesus was trying to communicate. And remember, a parable was something that actually could have happened. It could have taken place. It could have been a, a real-life thing that they could relate to. Uh, a case in point, an example is uh, actually from the Old Testament, because there were parables in the Old Testament as well. Uh, David and Nathan. You guys remember the story of Nathan going to King David and telling him this story about this man who had the sheep and they, he loved the sheep. And then this rich guy had a visitor come and the rich guy had plenty of sheep that he could have taken, but he took the poor man's sheep and he killed it. You guys remember that story? And then the whole big reveal to David, you are the man. Well, that was a parable. It was trying to communicate to David how bad he had messed up and how wrong he had been with his sin against Bathsheba. And so a parable is just that. It's a story with a point. As we get into this one, it's going to be talking about two houses, and it's going to be talking about foundations, and it's going to be talking about storms that hit. And I think the worst storm I was ever in, I was moving from Missouri down to Arizona, and I was driving through Oklahoma, and Oklahoma tried to kill my family. Um, The whole state did. I mean, it was just... We hit Oklahoma, and Amanda took over the the wheel at that point, because I'd been driving for a little while, so she took over. And right at that moment, the the heavens just opened up and there was just rain coming down so that it's the type of rain where your windshield wipers just aren't doing anything. It's just sheets falling. I know some of you guys have never experienced anything like that, but if you move outside of this state, it's pretty regular in other states. And so literally you, you just can't see, it's just blurry out there, just like a constant sheet of water coming down. Well, if that wasn't bad enough and we're, we're driving down a highway, if that wasn't bad enough, then we had hail start falling. And hail's just pounding our car at this point. And then we had, we had both of our cars because we were moving to a different state. So both of our cars are just getting nailed by this hail. And so that's happening and it's loud. And if you've ever been driving in a hailstorm, it just, it's, it sounds like the end of the world is upon you. Just the pounding on the car. And then because we've got iPhones and, and iPhones send you weather alerts, the iPhones started to chirp at us like crazy saying tornado warning, tornado warning, tornado warning. And not just one, but there were like 15 tornadoes all, all around us there. And so the moral of this story is don't ever live in Oklahoma. There's no reason to ever live in Oklahoma. No, it's, it's that, that was the the scariest storm I've ever been in. And I grew up in Texas. I grew up in North Dallas. I, I know what bad storms are. That one was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And all I could think while I was in the car is, man, I I just want to be somewhere safe. I want to get off the road. And I think we took shelter finally at an Arby's or some classy establishment like that and, uh, and got out of the storm and then let it pass. And then we were able to, to keep going. But that storm was scary and it made me think, I, I want to be somewhere safe. And when there's a, a bad storm, you want to be inside a, a safe building with a strong foundation. You don't want to be out in the, the shack and you definitely don't want to be in a trailer park, right? There's, there's jokes about tornadoes and trailer parks for a reason. It's because it's true. It's because trailers don't hold up well against tornadoes or against hurricanes or anything else. You want something that's got deep roots that's going to stand up. And the same can be said for us in life. When we encounter trials and tribulations and and the storms of life, so to speak, we want to make sure that we've got the right foundation, a foundation that's going to carry us through. Well, parable is a story with a point and Jesus never told a random parable. He never was just walking along going, Oh, you know what? This reminds me of a story. Let me tell you. He was always telling a parable in response to something. And this time, 
It's at the end of Matthew chapter 5 through 7. What do we refer to Matthew chapters 5 through 7 as? It's the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Sermon on the Mount. And this is where Jesus tells this parable. And in this famous sermon, we find things like the Beatitudes. We find teachings about anger and about what the the real root of things like murder are and violence are as it starts with that same anger that causes us to hate another person. We read about things, uh, teachings on, on lust. Same thing, that, that the, the act that culminates in adultery and the physical act of sexual immorality, it begins internally just with the same thing that, that begins when we lust after someone. Jesus has teachings on divorce and teachings on marriage. He has teachings on loving one another in the sermon, teachings on giving, teaching on prayer, teaching on fasting, teaching on anxiety, teaching on judging, teaching on what it means to really know Jesus. And so he comes to the end of this sermon and he tells this parable. And I used to read the Sermon on the Mount, and I used to think, man, this is, this is so hard, right? This, this feels so difficult to do this, the way that he's calling me to do this. I mean, who can live this out this way? And it used to be somewhat discouraging, and I used to like to, to jump past the Sermon on the Mount, because I'm like, man, this is convicting to be here. And it's not that Jesus didn't ever want us to, to live out and to obey the Sermon on the Mount. He did, and, and we should set ourselves to obey it. But the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount was what Jesus said before giving it, which is this. He said, if you wish to see the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. In other words, you need a, a super righteousness that is inaccessible to even the Pharisees. And so even as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, the conclusion should be, God, I can't do this on my own. And if you're there, and if you've ever been there, then you're exactly where Jesus wanted you to get. And then he tells this parable. Pick up in verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And so this is a a pretty simple parable. There's only two characters in this parable. There's the the wise man and the foolish man. And the wise man, it says, uh, just like the foolish man, sets out to build a house. But the wise man does the hard work of making sure that he's got a good foundation. And so the wise man in Luke's account of this parable says that the wise man dug down deep. That he labored to make sure that his his house was going to be built on the rock. That his house was not going to move when the storms came. And finding the rock, he began to build. He knew the dangers of building on sand, the dangers of building a house without a a solid foundation. And he knew that 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 was to be avoided at all costs. So even though it was going to take him a little bit longer, he made sure that he built his house on the right foundation, on the rock. And the text says the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Fall. Why? Why? Because it had been founded on what? On the rock, on the right foundation. So that's the first character. But then you've got the the second character, the foolish man. And the foolish man also sets out to build his house. But he's not willing to do the hard work to make sure that he's got the right foundation. 
The foolish man just dives in head first, doesn't have the, the commitment to digging down deep like the, the wise man did. And so he just starts building and he builds and he builds and he builds and he, he finally has his house. But then the same storm that hits the wise man hits the foolish man. And it says, and, and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house. It's the same scenario. But this time it says, the house fell and great was the fall of the house. What I want you guys to see tonight is that the difference between these two houses boils down to one thing. And what is it? It's the foundation. That's the difference between these two houses. Everything else from, from the outside, you look at them, they're going to look like they're the exact same. But when you get down to what they're founded upon, what they're built on, that's where the real difference lies. And so what prompted Jesus to tell this parable? Well, after coming out of the Sermon on the Mount, after making a statement saying that your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees, after all of those things, he gets to this place and he tells this, this parable to communicate one thing. He wants to communicate that we need to make sure that we've built our house on the right foundation. That we're doing the hard work to make sure that we are building upon something that's going to hold up, that's going to support us, that's going to last through the different storms that hit us in this life. So he starts out in the first example he gives is the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The right foundation to build on is the rock. To help us understand the, the dangers and the geography here, the, this area in, in Israel was prone to flash flooding. We lived in Arizona for two and a half years, two years that were just two and a half years too long um, to live in Arizona. It's just, it's, it's hot. And people are like, it's a dry heat. Yeah, so is an oven. Stick your head in there. See if you like it for a while. Right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's like, it's not like that makes it better. Um, but we were there in Arizona, Phoenix area, Mesa specifically. And it's, it's just desert. And there's scorpions. We had them in our house. And people are like, if they sting you, just have somebody watch you because you could die. It, you don't live in Arizona. Okay, just don't. Oklahoma and Arizona. I've wiped out two states. Okay, so far. Texas is wonderful. California is, is all right, but just don't live in Arizona or Oklahoma. But anyways, it's desert. And there's the, the, the thing about the desert is water doesn't soak in there. And you would think it would, right? Because it's so dry, but it can't. There's nothing for it to, to absorb it there. And so when it rains in Arizona, the floods are crazy. You can come up to, to areas where they will say, do not enter this part of the, the road if it's raining. Because the, the floods that come through there will literally sweep across the, the road there. And if you are even in, in a pickup truck, heavy-duty vehicle, those floodwaters are strong enough that they're going to pick that vehicle up and they're going to take it off the road and take it wherever they want to at that point. And so there's always stories of rescues and things during the rainy season in Arizona um, for those two days. And then... Later on, it's, it's stories of, you know, Granny who thought she could make it through in her Cadillac and she needs rescue. And then there's Bubba who thought he could make it through in his four-wheel drive and he needs rescue. Point is, the, the floods are nothing to mess around with. And that's the same thing that would take place in, in Israel as well. The rains would fall and, and the climate was such that it was a little bit nicer than Arizona, but still they were prone to flash floods. And so as the rains and the storm is coming, the people that are listening to Jesus, remember part of the power of a parable is the fact that it's relatable. It's something that they could hear and they could go, okay, I can put myself in that position. I can understand that. I know what that's like. And so they're listening and they're like, yes, we've, we've seen storms like that. We've been around storms like that. We've seen flooding like that. 
And so knowing that, they were tuning in and they wanted to know what his, his solution was going to be. And he says, the, the solution is you need to, to build and make sure that you're founding your house on the rock. Well, what's a foundation, just in general, what's a foundation meant to do? It's meant to support, right? It's meant to hold something up. The strength of a building lies in its foundation. I found this on a construction website because I am not handy. So the Google came in handy. See what I did there? That's a handy. It's free. Uh, Anyways, it says this. The main purpose of a foundation is to hold the structure above it. Okay, makes sense. And to keep it upright. (laughs) Again, makes sense. A good and strong foundation keeps the building standing while the forces of nature wreak havoc. Well-built foundations keep occupants of the building safe during calamities such as earthquakes, floods, strong winds, etc. And so as Jesus is telling this parable, again, he's telling this parable because he wants you to choose the right foundation. And that right foundation is the rock. And what is the rock? It's him. It's Christ. It's his accomplished work on your behalf. It's his righteousness. It's faith in him completely. That's the foundation that we all need to have, that we all want to build upon. Paul points this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Shameless plug for our faithfulness retreat. You'll hear about this verse more in depth at that point. 1 Corinthians three eleven. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, Apostle Paul there is saying there should be no other foundation except for Jesus Christ. Something similar he writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints. That's a band too. Citizens and saints and members of the household of God built on, here's our word, the foundation. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What's the cornerstone in a foundation? Anybody know? Yeah, it's the most important stone. The the cornerstone had to be cut perfectly straight because by the cornerstone, every other stone in the foundation would be laid in place. If the the cornerstone was wonky, then the whole building was going to be cockeyed as it got built and it would be compromised. It wouldn't be able to stand. And so Paul's saying in Ephesians 2.20 that Jesus Christ is not only part of the foundation, but he is the whole foundation. He is the, the cornerstone, the most important part of the foundation. So what does that look like? How do I choose a, a right foundation? How do I build on the rock? Well, in the parable, it says that we need to do what? We need to listen and do. Hear and do the words of Jesus. Well, which ones? Which ones? How do I found myself on the rock? Okay, I want to do that, and I'm supposed to hear, and I'm supposed to do. But we've just talked about how Matthew 5 through 7 sets this impossibly high standard for us to hit every single time. So what do I need to do? How can I make sure that I build my foundation on the rock? If if I don't live a perfect life, do I need to continually scrap my foundation and and reset it, so to speak, and, and set out to hear and do better the next time? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Well, Jesus had other words that he actually issued before he got to the Sermon on the Mount that we need to begin with when it comes to laying our foundation. Any idea what those words are? Three words. Repent and 
believe. Yes, you guys can talk, okay? That's why I'm on the floor and using a music stand. I'm not trying to be Matt Chandler. I'm just trying to connect with you guys a little bit more. So, so feel free, chime in. I, I, I promise I won't bite your head off. If you guys want to want to say a word in response to a question, when I just pause and there's silence there, I'm not just going for awkwardness. I'm going for interaction, okay? It's all right. All right, so we've established that. That's out of the way. Yes, repent and Believe, thank you. Yes, repent and believe. If you want to lay the right foundation, if you want to put your foundation on the rock, the first thing that you need to hear from Jesus and do are those three words, repent and believe, which we would also refer to as what? The gospel today, right? If you want to make sure that that your house is being built on the right foundation, a foundation that's going to hold up for you through it all, you need to make sure that you've responded to the gospel, not just heard it, but like you may have listened to in the, the baptism tank so many times this weekend, people who at one point in time heard the gospel and thought, oh yeah, I'm good because I've heard it and understood it. But that it's actually gone to that next level and you've responded. You've, you've done the words of Jesus that say, repent and believe. And so that's where it needs to begin. And that's our first point tonight. It's this. Make sure you have the right foundation. Make sure that you have the right foundation. Because once more, I, I want to stress, I want to emphasize, I want to, to stand up on the, the tallest platform in the world and scream from, from the top of my lungs, you cannot earn salvation. You can't merit it. You can't do X, Y, and Z to be saved. And hopefully you know that, but I hope you're living in light of that reality too. I hope that your Christian walk isn't judged on whether or not you feel like you're clean enough to be able to worship. You're clean enough to be able to pray. You're clean enough to be able to read your Bible because you sinned and now you want to make sure that you you make up for your sin by doing penance, so to speak, which is basically what we're trying to do by saying, man, I can't pray because I just sinned. I can't read my Bible because I just sinned. I can't go to church because I've got this sin in my life. Do we want you to confess and repent of your sin? Yes. But should that be a barrier between you and a relationship with God that hinders you from going into him? Absolutely not. And if you bought into that, then you're buying into a lie from the enemy that says that you have to earn your way into acceptance before the Lord. Jesus has done that. That's the whole point of him being the foundation. Our good works are not the foundation. Jesus Christ is the foundation. And so it begins with that idea of repent and believe because when the floods come, and, and this is actually a picture of a flooded river from Israel. So when the, the raging waters come up, we want to make sure that our house isn't just going to give way. And if your house is built on a foundation of your righteousness, which mine was for so long, when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, man, I went to a, a Christian high school. I had Christian parents. My dad was a pastor for a while. I went to, you know, I, I, I thought I knew everything. I went to one of those dorky Christian schools where you have to wear the, the uniforms where the pants stand up by themselves in the corner, it, 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 like that level, right? And, and so all my confidence was there. I went to a church that I thought, this is a, a church with a, a pastor who people know he's on the radio. I'm good to go. But my foundation was my righteousness, not Christ. And it took my senior year in high school for the Lord to finally break me of that and to say, you can't save yourself. And my parents got divorced and I was trying to hold my parents' relationship together and I was trying to use my goodness and my self-righteousness to hold everything together and finally God revealed to me, you can't even fix that. How are you going to fix the chasm that exists between you and I? And so the storm of my parents' divorce came through and totally wiped out the house that I had been building because it was founded on my self-righteousness. 
We need to found it on Christ, Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know what's missing from that equation? Your good works. Jesus is the most secure foundation you could ever have. It's one of the reasons why he says, hey, you know what? Don't fear those who all they can do is kill the body. You know why he said that? Because he overcame death. And so even if they kill you, your foundation in Christ is still intact. Because his victory over death becomes your victory over death. If your foundation is anything other than him, though, money, relationships, lust, power, pleasure, whatever, hard work, it's not going to hold up. Even if you got everything that you wanted in life, there's going to come a day when you do finally die. And let's say it's 150 years old because science, right? So let's say you, you die and you're the oldest living person ever in the history of ever and you've loved every second of your life. You're going to die and then what's all of that going to be worth at that point? Nothing. Nothing. You can't take any of it with you. You can't take experience with you. You can't take the, the stuff with you. You can't take position with you. You can't take your family with you. You cannot take anything with you other than your relationship with Jesus. Two houses. Again, from the outside, they probably look quite similar. Standing on the same streets. Couldn't tell the difference unless you... We're able to uncover everything else and look at what the foundation is. But the foundation, when the storms come, the difference there is undeniable. Because the house that's founded on the rock still stood. The difference in the foundation lies in hearing and doing. And that hearing and doing, again, begins with that idea of repent and believe in Jesus, the gospel. But Jesus continues there in verse 24 and 25. He says, everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and the beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Hears and does, hears and does. What does it mean to do words? I want to shift gears now into now that we've founded, hopefully our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. Now we're still called to hear and do moving forward. Not that, that our hearing and doing is adding to our foundation. Our foundation is there. It's done. It's finished. It's over. But now we want to build our house and we want to do that wisely. How do we do that wisely? We hear the words of Jesus and we do them. To do them means to act, right? How many of you guys have a job out here or have ever had a job? Okay. This is good interaction. Hands are going up. I mean, we're not verbalizing things, but we're winning. All right, this is good. Progressing in the right direction. So you've had a job. And with that job, you've had a boss, yes? We don't have a a room full of entrepreneurs that are like, well, I'm my own boss. Okay, whatever. But you've had a boss. Your boss gives you an instruction and says, I want you to do this. Is it wise to say to your boss, yes, I'll do that, and then to totally ignore him? No, right? That's not going to end up well. Some of you guys did that, and now you don't have a job, right? That's where that leads to. But if you have a job, you understand, man, my boss is my authority. If he gives me a command and says, do it, I'm going to do it. Because there's a benefit in me doing the words of my boss. I'm going to stay employed. He's going to think highly of me. I may work my way into a promotion. Good things are going to happen to me. But more importantly, I'm not going to lose my job. I don't want to cross my boss. I did not mean to rhyme. That just happened. I'm not going to freestyle. Don't worry. That's just not my thing. We don't want to make them mad. 
So if we understand that, guys, as believers, how much more should we think that it's a wise thing for us to do the words of God? To do, to put into action the words of our creator. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Man, that's crazy. Hearers who delude themselves. What's the delusion? Ask yourself that question. What's the delusion in James 1.22? What am I deluding myself about if I'm just a hearer but not a doer? I'm deluding myself about the foundation. Because remember, the foundation begins by hearing and doing. It begins by repenting and believing, and then it continues to build in that same pattern. But if all I ever do is hear, and I can understand, and I can pair it back, but I never put into action, then I'm deluding myself. I've got a different foundation. I don't have Christ as my foundation. Prove yourself. How do I prove myself a doer of the word? It's going to evidence itself in how I live my life. John says the same thing. He says this. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know Jesus. If we, what? Keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a, what's that word? Liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So notice for John, the test, not of fellowship, the test of salvation is, are you living a life that evidences that Jesus Christ is your foundation? Because if you tell me I love him, but I look at your life and there's no evidence of it anywhere there at all, then I'm going to come back to you. And like John says, I'm going to say, man, you're lying. There's a disconnect there. And does that mean that you're never going to sin, that you're never going to struggle with sin, that you're never going to have a sin that is just a beast for you to overcome in life? No, that's not what he's saying. But if you are not progressing in your walk with Christ, if you are not daily fighting sin, if you are not daily waking up and, and putting sin to death, and you're just comfortable with sin, but you want to be out there and you want to say, hey, you know what, I love Jesus, then John and God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, inspiring John to, to write this, God is going to look at you and he's going to say, you're a liar. We want to make sure that, that we're not just hearing and understanding and giving this intellectual assent to God's word, but that we're actually putting into practice. It's point number two for us tonight. It's this, get from hearing to doing. Get from hearing to doing. You know, you can read a, a good book, Lord of the Rings, whatever, um, just thinking of all the, the theology books, but what are some other books you, you guys like to read? Just throw them out there. Harry Potter. I knew that one was coming, right? Well, just, yeah, sure. Okay. Some people were like, I, Harry Potter is a good book. Some people say that. Um, you can read that. You can read Lord of the Rings. You can read, I've read the Harry Potter books, so I'm not slamming Harry Potter. Um, maybe a little bit, but I was entertained. But those books aren't meant to change your life, are they? unless you join like the fan club and then you dress up and you LARP and things like that. And if that's you, sweet. Nick, you're there, right? Lord of the Rings fan club LARPing. And are you Legolas? Are you, is he, what's, who's the dwarf? Gimli. Are you Gimli? Ranger. Okay, fair enough. I don't know who that is, but they're not meant to transform your life. The Bible is different though, right? When we read the Bible, Hebrews chapter 
4 says that the, the Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing between joint and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's no other book on earth that can do that. And so when you pick up the Bible, when you pick up God's word, and when you read it, it's meant to transform your life. It's meant for you to get from the hearing to the doing. And that's why when we read the Sermon on the Mount, there's those commands like love one another, honor your father and mother. This, uh, even outside of the, the Sermon on the Mount, just in scripture, honor your father and mother. Do not worship any God but God alone. Ten commandments, right? Do not commit sexual immorality. Do not lie to one another. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, etc., etc. These are our commands and they're not given for us just to look at them and be like, well, that'd be nice if I, if I could pull that off. No, they're given to us so that we can say, I want that. How do I live that out? And what's hindering me from living that out? What's holding me back from being a more compassionate person? God, show that to me so that I can rid those things from my life and live a life that is more compassionate because you've commanded me to do that. And I want to hear and I want to do. God, reveal to me those things that, that fuel my anger because I don't want to be an angry person because your command is that I should be somebody who's slow to anger. And anytime I even do get angry, you want it to be a righteous anger. And God, I know my heart and I know that it's so often provoked to unrighteous anger. So whatever those things are, God, I, I want to have those revealed to me and I want to get rid of them. I want to put them to death so that I can not just hear that command, but I can do it. That needs to be our mindset as Christians to hear and do. Why? Why? If we're not adding to that foundation and that foundation is there, can't we just put up a pop tent and just live the rest of our lives? Do we really have to build that hard? No, you need to build. Why? Because when we understand God's love for us, it should compel us. It should propel us to respond in, in living a life that's faithfully obedient to him. You can obey somebody you don't respect you can, it's harder, but you can, but it's, it's so much easier to obey somebody that you love, obey somebody that you know cares about you, obey somebody that you know is for you. And one of the things that's so great is way before God gets to the 10 commandments, you have him promising redemption. Genesis three fifteen, Genesis 12, 3. I mean, the gospel is undeniably, Genesis 12, 3, Paul picks that up in Galatians chapter 3 and says, this is the gospel that God was preaching to Abraham beforehand. And so here's what I want you to, to realize with that. God went after Israel and brought them out of Egypt and then gave them the, the Ten Commandments and gave them the law. Did he want them to be obedient and follow the law? Yes, but was that a stipulation for his deliverance? No. But because he delivered them, he expected them to now look on that kindness that he had showed them and respond in like manner and say, okay, God, I want to devote my life to you. And that needs to be us after we've realized that we have this foundation that's Jesus Christ that's worth so much more, that's stronger than anything else that this world could ever offer us. And we need to look at that foundation and say, okay, God, because you have given me this, because you've founded me and, and put my feet upon the rock, I want to live for you. I want to hear and I want to do. I can't improve upon this, but I want to build in a way that's going to honor you. Well, there's also a foolish man in our story, isn't there? Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, there's the contrast, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. 
This is like hearing the request of your boss and saying, yeah, I'll do that, but then not following through. Or I like Legos. I don't know. Anybody else in the room like Legos? A few of you guys. That's, that's good. I'm glad we can all admit this together. Lord of the Rings, Legos, and Harry Potter. All three in one sermon. Super cool. Um, hey, but I like Legos. But one of the reasons I like Legos is I like following the, the directions of them. Uh, and so I, I pull the directions out and I start at step one and, and I, I like, it's just, it's cathartic for me. It's like, sometimes I have counseling cases, people come in and sit down in my office and I just don't, there's, I wish I had Lego instructions to, to help them. I don't. I've God's word, which gives me some guidelines and principles, but there's some pretty fuzzy stuff that comes through my office. So, so I like Legos because I like that, but it, it would be like me taking the Legos out, reading the Legos and being like, oh yeah, this is super good. This is super beneficial to my, my life and my building this Lego project that I'm about to have. And and even memorizing them and hanging out with other people that have also memorized the same Legos. And we, we encourage each other about the same Lego packet that we both memorize. And we talk about the different colors of the bricks that we like. And we talk about, you know, what our favorite page is. And we talk about how this page really helped us through a trial. And, and this page was super comforting to us and, and everything else. And we talk about how it was awesome the, the day we first got our Legos. When we, when we closed our eyes and we walked an aisle. And then somebody gave us our Lego box and said, there you go. You got your Legos. You're good. It'd be like that and then never building the Legos. Hopefully you guys see the parallel there. That's what it's like for us to have the Bible, to read the Bible, to memorize the Bible, to ha- hang out with other people that do all those things as well, to go to a church and to sit under the preaching of God's word, to, to carry around our Bibles and to say, well, my confidence is because I, I raised my hand once at summer camp or I walked an aisle once at summer camp, but there's never been any genuine change in your life and there's not any hearing and doing. And now you're the one that's the foolish man in this scenario saying, hey God, look at me, I'm good because I, I, I did that thing a while back, but I, and I, I know I've memorized so much of, of the word of God and so am I good now? You can't build on that foundation. That foundation is weak. It's sand. It's going to crumble. It's never going to last. James talks about this as well. He says, he compares it this way. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a, a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. What's a mirror meant to do? It's meant to show you what's wrong, right? It's meant to, to be there to go, hey, you got a booger hanging out your nose. Hey, you've got something that you need to fix with your hair. Hey, you got a problem. And so it's meant for you to hang out there and fix what you do and then leave. But it, James is saying, if you don't read God's word, which he's comparing to that mirror, which shows us what we need to, to say, hey, this is out of line. That's out of line. If you don't read his word and respond, it's like looking at the mirror and seeing that you've got a, a giant smudge across your forehead and then just walking away like you're good and not paying any attention to it and forgetting that you just saw that you've got this giant black mark on your forehead. James says that's what it's like to read God's word, to hear God's word and not do it. Backstage in Maine, before you go out on stage, there's a, a floor length mirror um, that's hanging on the wall back there. And it's there to make sure that whoever's about to go out and do announcements or preach or lead worship or whatever, that you're put together, that your fly's not down, that, that your mic's not hanging goofy, whatever. And, and so it, it would be like getting ready to go out and do announcements and looking at that and seeing that the zipper's totally down on the pants and going, I'm good. And then walking out and doing announcements to the mortification of everybody and later on, hopefully yourself. It, it just wouldn't make sense. But we understand Jesus' analogy even, don't we? We don't have to work too hard on that. These are houses that are down in Laguna Beach. And what do you notice about these houses? Are any of them built on the sand? No, they're built up in the hill, right? They're built back into the rock. 
they're not down on the beach where the, the people are hanging out with their surfboards and stuff like that. They're, they're built up into the side of the hill. Why are they built up into the side of the hill? Because they want to stay there. They don't want to, to, to crumble. They don't want the sand to erode underneath them. If, have you guys ever been out and built a, a sand castle before? And then you come back. Is it there the next time you come back to the beach? No. Why? Because sand makes a lousy building instrument. It gets wiped out or that punk kid comes over and kicks it over and then laughs at you and runs away. This is what happens when you build your house on a lousy foundation. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's extreme, but that's Jesus' point here. When we build our life on anything other than Christ, this is what we're risking. And not just with our, our, our personal things and our physical things. That can be rebuilt. It's, it's with our entire lives and, and more importantly with our eternity. And if that collapses, that's something that can't be rebuilt. There are no second chances. It's our third point tonight. It's this. Reject the sandy foundations in your life. A sandy foundation is anything other than Christ. Again, for me, when I was growing up, it was my self-righteousness. It's like, I'm good. I go to this private Christian school. I'm good. I've, uh, my dad used to be a pastor. I'm good. I go to this church. I'm good. I'm on student, student leadership at this church. I'm good. I, whatever. And I could have given you this resume. And that's where my confidence was. But that was just a sandy foundation. Reject the sandy foundations in your life. There's a guy named James Montgomery Boyce who said this in a way that is better than I could have said it. So that's why it's up here on the slide. It says this. It's important to see that those words were not spoken. He's talking about this parable. Those words were not spoken of people who rebelled against Christ's teachings at all, but to people who listened to them and made profession of faith. Their folly is of a different order than that of mere unbelievers. It's the folly of people who heard what is right, acknowledge that it is right, and profess to be following it, but who do not put Christ's teachings into practice. And y'all, that's why it says that when this house fell, great was the fall of it. It's that idea to whom much has been given, much will be required. And there's great blessings to being a part of a solid Bible teaching church, but there's great responsibility that comes with that too. And if you continue to throw up your facade that whole time and you've heard all of this teaching and you've been given the gospel and you've been called to repentance and faith time and time and time again, and if you never actually take your knowledge and put it into action on that final day, that final judgment day, that fall is going to be greater for you because you will be responsible for so much more. With this foolish man, there's talk of repentance, but no real repentance. There's talk of believing, but no real faith. There's talk of love without loving and talk of following Jesus without coming to him. And these professions will all eventually prove faulty. The rain will fall, the floods will come, the winds will blow and beat against the house, and the house will fall, and great will be the fall of it. So I want to encourage you to repent even tonight from your sandy foundations, if you haven't built your house, if you haven't put your foundation on Christ, we're about to break up into small groups here in a little bit. Make that priority number one. In fact, if you haven't done that and you're uncomfortable in your small groups doing that, seek me out or grab your leader and say, hey, can we talk just privately? Come find me. I'll be in here in the back. Let's, let's talk about that because that's more important than anything else tonight. For the rest of you, if you have built your house on the rock Hopefully this is just an encouragement for you to, to take a, an inventory of your life and say, okay, how am I doing in this? Am I, have I been, been making sure that I'm getting from the hearing to the doing? How can I sharpen that in my life? How can I excel still more in that? 
Two houses. They look the same from the outside. They're both being built, but one's being built on a foundation that's going to utterly fail and collapse. And the other one's being built on the right foundation. That's the rock, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus. And I don't say that lightly, God. We do. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that he... God is, is the one who provided us his righteousness. As you write in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the righteousness that becomes the rock that we build our houses upon. And it's immovable and it's unchangeable and it's, 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 it's undestroyable. God, it can't be taken away from us if we've truly responded if we've truly heard and done that initial call of Jesus, which is repent and believe. And so I pray tonight, if there's somebody in the room who hasn't done that, that tonight would be that night, God, that you would press in on them to move them, to encourage them, that tonight can be the night that they found their life on the rock, on Jesus Christ. Lord, for those that have already made that decision, God, may tonight be a good reminder and a challenge. And may it be even convicting to us who need to repent of some things that we haven't been doing well as far as listening and doing in our lives. Lord, may we get back to building on the right foundation, back to building on Christ. Lord, we thank you so much that our ultimate standing before you is based on him and not on us. Lord, we thank you so much that there is time because you are a God who is patient for us to repent of our sandy foundations and to put them off and to turn in faith to Jesus and to say, I want that. I want his righteousness. I want him to be my rock. Father, I pray that you'd be pleased with the rest of our time together tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen.